Hello and welcome in, everybody. This is episode number 32 of the Hippies and Cowboys podcast. As always, we are bringing you the best of the country music world like nobody else will tell it. Before we get started today, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our sponsor for today, Meetocracy. Meetocracy is an app that is completely free to download and sign up for, and what it will do for you is get high-quality local meat on your dinner table for a fraction of the price that you would be spending for the same cuts at the grocery store. All you have to do is download, sign up, and start browsing through all of the local producers in your area. Meatocracy is quickly expanding all across North America, and it is simply something that both consumers and producers do not want to miss out on. Saving big money as a consumer by cutting out the big grocery store markup, and as a producer, getting your stock to the dinner table has literally never been easier. How you design your page is entirely in your hands. You name your price, and Meatocracy will only take 7% of every sale, which means more money in your pocket, and you have control over the situation every step of the way. So head on over to the App Store and download the Meatocracy app, start reaping the benefits today, Stimulate your local economy and put high-quality, fairly-priced meat on your dinner table. Meatocracy. Power to the producer. In case you guys didn't notice, I got a new microphone. I think I sound a heck of a lot better. You guys let me know. Our guest on the podcast today is Josh Crutchmer. Josh is the print planning editor at the New York Times. And more importantly, for the purposes of this podcast, Josh has written an incredible book called Red Dirt, Roots Music, Born in Oklahoma, Raised in Texas, At Home, Anywhere. Josh's book will be on sale on September 19th, 2020, but you can head on over to reddirtbook.com and pre-order yours today and you can also check out some really badass artist renditions of the book that include some bonus content depending on which artist you choose. I couldn't get through this thing fast enough when uh, Josh sent it over a little while ago. Um, as you'll hear me say in the show, it is a little bit of history, it's a little bit of journalism, and it's a little bit of an autobiography from Josh. He really does an incredible job of weaving his own life experiences into the story of what Red Dirt Music really is. The book is loaded with exclusive interviews just for the book and just some killer stories along the way. You'll hear stories from a ton of names that you know and love in the Red Dirt scene, including Tom Skinner, Bob Childers, Garth Brooks, Cody Canada, Mike McClure, Jamie Lynn Wilson, Reckless Kelly, uh, Wade Bowen, I mean, you name it, Turnpike, the Turnpike Troubadours, of course. You name it, they're probably in the book if they're Red Dirt artists. I could probably talk here for another 10 minutes about the book, but uh, I think we got about an hour of uh, podcast to listen to here about it, so you'll hear me yap away enough. But please, do yourself a favor. If you are a fan of Red Dirt music, you need to head on over to Red Dirt Book dot com and pre-order this thing dive into it for yourself and just see how great this book really is and connect with these artists and this genre in an entirely new way we're going to kick off the show with a 
tune from Cody Canada and The Departed. This song was handpicked by Josh for the show. Once again, we would like to thank him for coming on and hanging out with us and telling us all about the book. This is Unglued by Cody Canada and The Departed. up and that radio's burning it down and I was thinking about changing my luck before it all came back around you know it seems to me you've been feeling that way too now we all agree that it's all just coming unglued yeah. a little lost rabbit he was chasing his tail through a high cotton field it's only gonna get better said the wolf in leather who cares about how they feel well i do and i'm pretty sure that you do too i'll be getting screwed it's all just coming unglued Josh Crutchmer, how are you, man? I'm very good. How are you guys? I'm doing all right. You don't have to pretend like Mike's here. We will. Uh, all right. We'll throw him in later. <laughs> Mike's not here, everybody. He's late to the party. Um, Josh has written 
He's sitting down with us today. He has written an incredible book titled Red Dirt, Roots Music, Born in Oklahoma, Raised in Texas, At Home, Anywhere. Uh, Mike and I have been lucky enough to have the chance to read the book ahead of its release date. And uh, I got to tell you guys, if you guys are fans of Red Dirt Music, you need to pick this thing up and you need to uh, give it a read yourself. It's I enjoyed the fuck out of it, and I'm not just saying that because Josh is sitting here talking to us right now. So, um, The hardest part about – so the title itself, Red mm-hmm. Dirt, was really easy because that's the name of the scene. Right. The hard part was I'm an Oklahoman, and I was part of Red Dirt when it was just a Stillwater, Oklahoma and surrounding areas scene. And right. now that it's sort of – it sort of, you know, moved on to Texas, and it's a very common thing to hear a phrase like Texas Red Dirt Music, and it's mm-hmm. all over Tornado Alley, really. Um, I didn't, I, I thought, you know, I might be limiting myself if I, if, if I wrote the title, um, if I made the title um, reflect that. So the original title was uh, Singers, Songs, and Stories That Spread Oklahoma's Roots Music, and I liked that, but I also thought that... Um, I also thought maybe that um, people would get the wrong idea that I was just writing an Oklahoma book. And mm-hmm. so coming up with that that tagline, the born in Oklahoma, raised in Texas, at home anywhere, there were a lot of, of, not, of fellow journalists, a lot of, uh, a lot of artists that had input into it. And it ended up becoming like about a week-long saga, and I'm really happy where it landed. <laughs> I think it's very um, – it, it rolls off the tongue. It rolls off the tongue, and I think it captures – like yeah you know i think it really captures like what the books what the books contents yeah. kind of how the story even weaves together um in that order so no i think i think the title is very very fitting and yeah it's perfect um but yeah like i said my everybody mike is not here yet he will be joining us shortly he's setting up his shit right now i think actually but uh josh why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself just uh you know, like I said, you don't have to tell your entire life story, but you can kind of just let everybody know what led you to writing this book and I guess um, why you're sitting here right now. <laughs> well, the, uh, the the short bio for me is I'm a journalist at heart. I went to, uh, went to Oklahoma State in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I lived in Stillwater when uh, the Wormy Dog Saloon was in its heyday. Um, Stony Larue and Jason Boland live in town. Um, you could also walk down the street and you could catch the the Flaming Lips and the All American Rejects for no cover. Mm. And I fell into the red dirt scene then, even when I was in college working for the uh, the newspaper at Oklahoma State. I wrote a lot about red dirt, and they joked at the time that I was the Wormy Dog editor. <laughs> um, now fast forward 20 years I'm a planning editor at the New York Times which basically that means I learn everything that uh, we're writing about on a given day and I help us make a paper out of it and sometimes I design the front page myself and you know it's a lot of ground to cover in two decades but in the in between no I kidding. worked in Oklahoma City I worked in Phoenix Omaha, Chicago, happened to be in Chicago working there when uh, Ragweed played their last show at Joe's uh, Sports Bar. Oh, wow. Both of those are in the book. Those stories are in the book. They certainly um, are. 
and then spent some time in Minneapolis, Cleveland, and Buffalo before getting to New York about three years ago. So that's, uh, you know, that packs a lot into uh, a short time. But my outlet is always going to be music and specifically Red Dirt. Um, You know, I catch 50 or 60 shows a year and I try to make every festival I can. And really had been saying for a long time, basically when I when I left Oklahoma in 2005, when it's when I left the job in Oklahoma City, um, I I said I'm going to come back one day and I'm going to tell the story of this scene, and didn't really know what that meant at the time. I you know I thought maybe I'll do a documentary one day or I'll be a filmmaker, uh, but it was about two years ago. A little more than two years ago now, um, when John Cooper of the Red Dirt Rangers just flat out said, "Man, you got to write a book because we're losing too many people, too many members of the scene." Um, Brandon Jenkins had just recently died, as had Steve Ripley, and so um, that kind of quick sold heads me. up here, Josh. Mike is jumping in now. Sorry to interrupt. Hey, you. Mike. Nice to meet you. What's up, fellas? You got your recording going, Mike? I sure do. Wonderful. Okay, you can jump right in. Josh is just in the middle of how we got to this point where he's writing this book and sitting here talking to us. So we're at we're oh, at the cool. part where he's like eight right story. now. We're working all the way through the years. Oh, okay. Wait a <laughs> all right, sweet. What's up, Josh, by the way? How's it going? Wow. Oh, excellent. All right. Sorry to interrupt. Uh please continue. <laughs> um Anyway, so the basically a couple of years ago, John Cooper um, of the Red Dirt Rangers kind of just he didn't really call me out. He just said, look, somebody needs to tell the story of Red Dirt before it gets lost to history. And I kind of went, you know, you're right. Um, but if, I, if I'm going to do it, I want to really, I want to trace its roots back to Woody Guthrie. But I also want everybody that reads the book to understand why Red Dirt is thought of as this you know, sort of living, breathing scene that doesn't really have a home anymore. How it, you know, it didn't take over Texas, but it was accepted in Texas. And, um, you know, so I thought I wasn't just going to do a history book. I was going to do a book that really got into all the nuances of the scene. And to do that, you kind of had to tell some stories quickly. I think every story could um, could be fleshed out, of course. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't think anybody feel, will feel shortchanged either. I feel like you can read the book and at least at least get a snapshot of where this scene has been and where it's at now. Mm-hmm. And that was my goal. I, I think you did a fantastic job. I mean, it, like you said, the, uh, the beauty of Red Dirt is not only the fact that it's this li- living, breathing scene, like you said, it's the... To me, it's part of what makes it so great is the characters that are that are within it. And uh, I mean, as far as that goes, I mean, you look at you look at the front cover of this book. This isn't a video podcast, or I'd hold it up right now. Um, just all the names on the front of the book. I mean, anybody who's even slightly familiar with a couple of names is going to want to dig in and learn how they're all connected, because in the end, they really are all connected. And uh, yeah, I loved. I especially loved, and I mean, I kind of made a note of it to point this out is this book to me was it was a bit of a history book but a lot of the times it's it's history it's journalism and it's honestly it's a bit of like a memoir uh, or a autobiography for yourself 
in a, in a, in a bit of a way. I don't know if I'm reaching there, but no, no, no. Um, in fact, there's a part of the book where I said, that's kind of what I want it to be. Um, I, there's a couple of things. So if you're a journalist, if you're truly a journalist and you're going to, you're going to climb that ladder, you kind of have to dedicate yourself to it. So, um, that limits, that limits what you're able to, to do with some of the stories you want to tell. And so for, for 20 years, I, I've only written very, very, very sparingly about, about red dirt. Um, you know, there was the ragweed article in the Chicago Tribune when they played their last show at Joe's. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote a piece about Tom Skinner when he passed away, but it really had to rise to some sort of just, you know, once in a lifetime level for me to write about it. Because otherwise it's a conflict of interest. Like I like red dirt and I want you to like red dirt. And so you can't really dedicate yourself to being a journalist and also, you know, just shill for stuff you like. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I thought really for 20 years, I actually Cody Canada said, you've been in the passenger seat for 20 years. You've had a great view. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I always, I always, at every opportunity drew on my own experiences. Um, and sometimes it was very personal. Um, you know, the stories of, of, of Bob Childers or the, uh, uh-huh. the, the Oklahoma state plane crash, you know, I can't separate myself from those instances, but also, um, you know, going back to Joe's in Chicago and seeing that Garth dive bar show there. Yeah. I felt like mm-hmm. that. I felt like that. I felt like had I not gone there and done that, that would, but would have been a couple of really interesting parts of the book and the story that I just couldn't have tied together. So I did a lot of that, you know, going right. to Medicine Stone and just happening to be there during a day that the festival gets washed out and sucking it up and, and literally leaving the festival and then writing about it that night and really yeah. not touching it till the book came out. Um, the, the whole purpose was um, there were times that I just wanted people to experience what I experienced. Um, and I thought, I thought if I do that and also tell these stories that, um, people can, people can have something they want to relate to. I think, it, I think that's part of makes it so relatable is the fact that, uh, you have done an incredible job of weaving your own life story into these stories and how you kind of matured and grew along with the way red dirt matured and grew and yeah. expanded. I mean, you talk about yourself, all the places you've lived and the places you've worked for, you kind of grew and expanded and still, like you said, I, I love the part of, I love the part, I can't remember which chapter it was in, look at my notes here right now, but uh, you had said there was kind of, Red Dirt kind of provided soundtrack songs to your life as you kind of went through these important life events. And that to me really spoke to me because as someone who loves music and listens to as much music as I do, I can totally relate to having soundtrack songs and, and songs that help you get through tough times, songs that you remember, you know, having a great time and you remember, Oh, that song was playing, wasn't it? And every time it comes on now, you think of that same day, you know, I just, I I really, really dug that part. And I think there's something it's certainly not unique to Red Dirt. I mean, you can pick the most mainstream song in the world, and um, if you listen to it right in the right moment, it's going to be a part of your life forever. You know. Yeah. Oh, for um, sure. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I don't know what the the number one all time song is, but you know, the Rolling Stones <laughs> Satisfaction is pretty popular, and I'm sure somebody, yeah, you know, had their first kiss to that song. But there's something oddly um, personal, and I think it's because that Red Dirt artists in particular are really interested in in the mix of both the lyrics and the music. That if you're in a spot where that can speak to you, um, it's really going to get seared into your brain, good right. and bad. Right. Right. And there's a part of the book where I there's part of the book where I said I heard the I heard the Great Divide do a cover of the Road Goes On Forever. When I didn't know what they were, what that song yes. was, or what they were, and it's been a, it took uh, you know a year trying to figure out who wrote that and where it was from. Um, you know, you don't get a lot of stories like that if um, if you're just chasing uh, you know top forty or um, some that's of the right. more mainstream music that's out there. And part of that, part of that's what makes it fun. That's probably why you guys do it. You do too. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was in my notes. I had to bring up the road goes on story because <laughs> I thought I thought that was so funny that you had waited yeah like a year or whatever it was and you had said that uh, the divide had given you 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 the key I believe was the yeah, exact yeah. words and, and your friend had unlocked up. it <laughs> unlocked so, the door and kicked it wide open I think you wrote I yeah. yeah I I hinted at this in the book but I made those two friends drive me I mean they were on board too before we were even old enough to drink, from Stillwater to Wichita Falls, which is five hours each way, to catch a Robert Earl King concert. And Holy shit. This was in the, uh, the, the right after number two live dinner came out, where he would, you know, where he still had uh, um, Brian Duckworth in the band and um, that really hot lead guitar. And so that long instrumental break that comes before the uh, very last verse of The Road Goes On Forever, yeah. It's crowded, crowded bar. It was a dance hall, Graham Central Station. Just crowded. And he hits that instrumental. As soon as that instrumental kicks off, these two guys in front of us start fighting. And I mean, they're just, they're just going at it, <laughs> punching each other. And there's oh, blood shit. flying everywhere. And the crowd is forming this semicircle. And that fight lasts the entire length of that <laughs> instrumental, that jam session. And then when Robert Earl starts singing again, it just stops. And everybody just goes back and watches. <laughs> that's one of my favorite little experience. Again, you know, it's experience you'll never forget. That's awesome. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's a long ass fight. That's a long ass fight. That's a long fight for a bar too. Like normally, usually, like nowadays, you see the, the whoever's singing will step in and be like, "Hey, stop it!" You know, there's some good Childers videos out there or whatever of of whoever's singing. Cut it out. You can go fight outside, but not often you see them play out. But hey, I'm talking. I'm here and I'm talking. Look at that. You are here and That's talking. Crazy. Look at you go, buddy. Yeah. Go. yeah um, my my meeting is over, so that's always good. But now you have, now you have um, more important. Yeah, I, dude. I I don't know how how much I missed of like the the Tom Skinner thing, but that that's a name that I had not even known really until diving into uh the quails and yeah oh, i didn't Ryan really Ryan. i didn't yeah ryan and and i i didn't really fully understand it even the first time this summer i went down to catch a brian show yeah in uh okc at oh my gosh it was like some like it was like basically a strip mall and a bar called mcfins i don't know if you are familiar with mcfins but at some pub in 
southern Oklahoma City, and I guess it's owned by a guy who owns a bar in Stillwater. We met him the whole deal. But there that weekend, he talked a lot about Tom Skinner, Mike McClure, and didn't really sit in. And then a couple weeks ago, I went down to uh, Eufaula, and, and the Quails played a show down there, and they kind of dug into that story. So that was all before I had my hands on the, the book. And then I, you, you know, right. I started reading the book, and it's boom. It's Tom Skinner and Mike McClure, and I'm like, oh, shit. These are exactly the stories that I've been I've been being told by, by Brian and the Quails. So I was like, super cool. Like, you go to those Quail shows, and literally there's like nine different Tom Skinner portraits throughout yep. the band on stage, you know, like between tattoos and T-shirts and hats, like or stickers on guitars, they all had Tom Skinner. I d- never understood why until really until I read the book, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so Tom, Tom is just, it was a sort of this, um, there were a couple of mythical figures in, in red dirt and really throughout the nineties. And, yeah. um, it was, it was Tom Skinner and Bob Childers, um, mm-hmm. and, and both for wildly different reasons. Um, Bob was sort of this uh, Bob Dylan figure, almost this mythical guy. Um, just wonderful, wonderful with words and very influential in Red Dirt. And the oh, he also had Tom Skinner, who was this um, this kind of this Air Force brat that liked to eat, you know, McDonald's and make jokes all day, and also was just wicked good at music. Yeah. And um, it's just so strange. Not strange. It's so appropriate to to consider the story of red dirt and the way those two guys always keep popping up in it. Um, you know, Tom Skinner, the, the, the story goes that, um, Garth Brooks wanted to be in Tom Skinner's band, not the other way around. And, um, <laughs> and then, then Skinner ends up being in the band that, that leaves Stillwater with Garth and goes to Nashville, um, right. to give it a proper go. And when they get there, they crash on Bob Childers's couch of all places. Um, mm-hmm. So there's just a whole lot of that. That there's always there's always this this undertone of of these same figures um, appearing over and over again, and they're all they always show up. You know, to to they want to spread the love, they want to spread music, and they want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I guess this is probably a good spot to jump into that part of my notes. I mean. I love the way that you portrayed the artists and this goes back to what you said at the beginning as of um about Red Dirt being a living breathing thing. Yeah. Is the kinship amongst the artists and how like you said Garth wanted to be in his band not the other way around but and then yeah. you know they go to Nashville they crash on Bob Childers' couch. Everybody is so supportive and in one way or another it seems like they're all linked all the way down the line even up till up till now i think at the end of the book you talk about or maybe it's a quote from cody canada about uh him being buddies now with like ryan bingham and and some of those artists some of the next generation kind of thing right yeah um so i mean so here's what happened here's what happened through pretty much the entire arc of of cross Canadian ragweeds heyday and the divide had done this for them too um 
somebody like Ryan Bingham would come along and Cody would like their music and he would just take them on tour and say, you're opening for us. Right. Um, you know, BJ Barham in the, from American Aquarium right. says in the introduction, um, you know, we couldn't draw in Texas. And then, you know, here's an artist, here's us play on the radio and wants us to go tour with them. And now we pay our bills in Texas. Um, the, the link between um, Reckless Kelly and um, so many of these of these Red Dirt bands and the uh, the camaraderie that Jamie Lynn Wilson brings. I oh, think God. that is mm-hmm. unique. I think that is unique to the scene. I, I mean, I, you know, regional scenes are, are that way by default, but I think this has a particular pull to it in that direction mm-hmm. where everybody really does treat everyone else really as an extension of their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get that feel a lot. Even even when you go down there, like when you're talking with some of these guys, like, dude, it's it's a straight-up family. Like so just some of the stories that, like, Brian would tell of, like, dude, like between Jamie or, like, even John Fulbright, like it's so tight-knit, like, in that whole state. It just feels like, I don't know. It's, it's somewhere I've never seen anywhere else. But, yeah. um so you guys mentioned Ryan Bingham and I have heard maybe not specifically with Ryan Bingham, but people in Texas that will go, no, no, no. Ryan Bingham can't be red dirt country because he's from New Mexico. And I think your book kind of hits that point pretty well along those lines. And even the transition between, uh, like, I mean, red dirt country starts in Oklahoma, but obviously it goes, further than that but i don't know if you want to talk on that so so, um i don't know how familiar you are with um with roger klein and the peacemakers out of uh tucson arizona um Mm -hmm. used to be uh used to front the refreshments so Mm -hmm. you should give them a listen if you like if you generally like red dirt um but they're they're as far away as you can get from the middle of texas they're they're based out of tucson um and 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 tempe And, um, when ragweed was together, this part isn't in the book. Um, Mm. we would, I would jump in their van and later their bus and ride around and we'd listen to Roger Klein play and Cody would say, um, you know, this band is closer to us than anybody in red dirt. And he's right. They're both rock. They're both garage rock bands, um, (laughs) that emphasize the guitar, that emphasize their lyrics. And they're both a lot of fun. Um, and I think you see that over and over again. I mean, you know, one of the biggest festivals in, on the red dirt calendar is the Braun brothers reunion in Idaho. And that's, that's reckless and Mickey and the motor cars, of course, but it's also Jeff Crosby's from Idaho. It's Tyler and the train robbers who are Idaho. Um, so, you, you know, I think one of the things that was important to me in the book was to get away from red dirt just as the as the idea of a uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma and the surrounding areas music scene right. and, and understand that it no longer has a place, that it's more of a way of thinking. It's more of a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And it's mm-hmm. more of a uh, it's more of a musical mindset than it is defined by place now, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. That, yeah, that's one thing that that stuck out one of the direct quotes from the book that i had written down was um that red dirt is more of a spirit 
than a than a style, which I really yeah, enjoyed I because and I and you can connect that back to, I mean, the kinship amongst the artists and like you mentioned in the book, like them sitting around at at and just playing covering each other's songs in front of each other and things like that. I mean, I can't think of another genre of music or even even another like even just country music as a whole. I can't think of of something that's that tight knit and personal and just fucking cool. <laughs> compared, you know, I feel like you know? I feel like if I had been I feel like I had been in raleigh in the 90s or seattle during grunge that i, mm, I would have okay. been a, a fun compare and contrast um but the, the way red dirt sort of grew was really from that it was a band you'd go play your shows um and the crowd would respond but your your proving ground really wasn't that your proving ground really was campfires and, and that sort of mentorship mm -hmm. and all night song swaps um, that was where, that was where you sort of grew up, uh, as an artist and it's still happening to this day. There's a great bit in the book from Caitlin Butts about doing that just a few years ago Yeah, at a, yeah. uh, at a red dirt festival in Stillwater. I think, uh, I think that's important too, to consider when, when people think about red dirts and I mean, especially like people that we connect with on Twitter or via, you know, through the podcast or whatever it may be everybody's all always you know kind of you know pokes some fun at the mainstream and things like that and i think we talked a little bit about it before like these these some, lots of these artists weren't chasing those top 40 hits and i think the reason for that is because they sat around with you know at those campfires and had to go through those proving grounds and you realize oh this really is about songwriting this really is about making somebody feel something and I th uh, I love the quote from uh, Cody Canada. I don't want to be seen. I want to be heard. Yeah. Um, that's funny you bring that up. It's um, because um, there are three bands. There'll be more, actually. Um, by the time this comes out, we'll have announced that Stoney LaRue is the fourth band doing this. But um, this book was done independently. And... Um, mm -hmm. So that gave me a lot of control over what I could do with it. And one of the things I did was I asked some bands if they would be up for uh, doing special editions of the book geared toward them. Cody was one of them. And on the last page of all these special artist editions that I did, um, that is really more behind the music and le less about Red Dirt. Um, but the last page, I, I pick a quote from each artist and put it on there and leave the rest of the page blank. So if people want to get it signed, they can. Um, mm -hmm. And that was the quote I put on there from Cody. It was, "I don't want to be seen. I want to be heard." I love that. Oh, nice. I absolutely love that. It was when great. I read it. Yeah. And uh, again, I, th I think that relates back to to quote another another artist from the book. Uh, I really enjoyed like when uh, I believe it was Boland said, "Nobody ever, no musician ever sits down and said, let 'Let's go get rich.'" And I yeah. think that connects directly to yeah, what. Boland like kind of that spirit of red dirt and just, I mean, the spirit of what we're about too. I mean, we, the music we love and the music we promote, whether it be red dirt or, you know, I mean, you can get into whether what's country music and what's not yeah. or what red dirt is, but I don't know if we need to go there, but <laughs> artists with that kind of mindset, 
nobody, you know, nobody ever sit, sat down and said, oh, let's go get rich, or I don't want to be seen, I want to be heard. So, Artists with that kind of mindset seem to make the best art, and that's what music and country music, in our opinion, should should be all about, is the art, not the when, not the plastic product of it. When I went, so when I decided I wanted to do this book, um, you know, the in your head, everything sounds just straightforward. I'm going to write this book and I'll put it out. Well, then you actually have to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And because of where I work at the New York Times, where a lot of my colleagues have written books. And so I reached out to them and said, how'd you do it? Um, and I have a friend uh, that I went to school with, Fred Minnick, who was one of the premier bourbon critics in the world that's written several books. And I reached out to him and they, they all had great advice and basically said, you need to pitch you know, you, the first step is you pitch your story to an agent and then your agent will get a publisher to uh, to print it for you and send it out and they'll give you a big advance and they'll send you on a book tour. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought, well, that all, that all sounds good, so I'll do that. And I re- start doing that and I write these proposals and the proposals are 50 pages long. It's just a ton of writing, which I, I you know, I guess whatever. Um, <laughs> but um, whether I was a publisher I reached out to or an agent, it didn't matter. The answer was always the same. It was either, um, I can't sell this because it seems like it's too niche for us. It's too specific. There's not enough of an audience. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, or the other answer I got was, I really like this. I like this idea. I'm really excited about it. Um, can you get, Dirks Bentley to write the foreword and can get more about Garth Brooks in there and can we release it during the uh, Country Music Awards next year? So it was either I don't understand this or it was this is good but can we make it about more than these guys I've not heard of? Right. And I didn't think either one of those really fit me. And at that point I yeah. went, well, these artists release their music independently so I'm going to put this book out independently. And yeah. the way I'm going to hack this system is... I am going to tell these artists stories, um, but I'm going to do it through them and I'm going to let them say what they want to say. And, you know, my job then is to keep it true. So if someone's making something up, my job is to either correct it or not put it in the book. (laughs) And, you know, my big gamble was these artists will like being a part of this and like that the story's told and they're the ones that's going to spread the word and I don't need a publisher. And it turns out I was right. Um, you know, we've had a, I just did a very independent summer uh, pre-sale out of my own living room. Um, and when it's out, it's going to be out worldwide, Amazon and all the places you want to buy it, Barnes and Noble, wherever. But this pre-sale has just been me taking orders. And when I'm done taking orders, I'll print books and ship them to people. And um, after... I am, it doesn't really matter because it'll be out of date when the podcast comes comes out. So I'll just tell you that um, so far it's been able to raise over $8,000 for artists who are out of work, either via charities or going direct to the artists or, or the projects fantastic. artists are working on. And so, Incredible. you know, when you look at that as just, that's a decent fraction, but it's still a fraction of, of the the numbers the book did this summer. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that gamble paid off and I get to basically maintain the editorial control to 
do a one-off special edition about Reckless Kelly. Or if there's yeah. ever music again, you know, I can go to the Steam the Music Fest at Steamboat, or I can go to Miles Zero oh, cool. or the Braun Brothers, and I can say, um, I can show up, and I can have written a whole. I can have taken the cover, and I can put the Miles Zero logo on it, and I can write an extra chapter, thirty more pages about the history of that and just put a bunch of photos in. Yeah. Um, and I can say, this is a mile zero special edition. And then I can also mm. say, um, go on stage and say, so if you like this, if you go buy this book and show me, you do it, go tag me on social media. Um, then I'll also send you home with a digital version of the book that I'm going to write as soon as I get home tonight and I'm going to write it drunk and you're going to get to go home on the fly home and read that. <laughs> so, you know, if you're at the real publisher, you don't get to do that. And I feel like that's what these artists get to do. They get control of their own music and I get control of the book about their own music. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very fitting. Uh, real quick. It's, you should, uh, sorry, oh. Mike, go ahead. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to comment how it's funny, how the book about this kind of music like the publishing thing just went exactly like it does with the the music. It's just it does. Like, well, I thought it was very. They, they threw out Dirks Bentley and fucking like Jesus Christ. It's the exact same. Like it's the same old song and dance of well, we want yeah. big names, we want people, we want we want money, we want shit that sells. Like right, just not like even though it's good, it doesn't fit our narrative. Yeah. Like that's so crazy. Like, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do that even. There, there's parts of the book where some of the artists talk at length about the impact that Dirks yeah. and Leanne Womack had on them and their music. Mm -hmm. I felt like a complete jackass if I went back to them and then tried to exploit that. Um, like who, yeah. who am I, who am I as, as an independent author? Who am I as, as a, as an artist, if I'm all of a sudden gonna try and exploit people that were nice enough to have been a part of this. And that didn't seem right, right. to them or fair to anybody. No, that's right. Yeah. Um, Real, real quick for for everybody listening. Um, what are the four? I think you said four. There's four artists' renditions of the book, and uh, how many are still available, and where can they get them? So, just in general, um, send everybody to reddirtbook.com for everything. Okay. Even yeah. after even after it's on sale, you'll find all the links to where it's on sale. Um, so we just ended three artist edition presales. Um. One was Cody Canada, one was Reckless Kelly, and one was Wade Bowen. And I thought each of them had just a unique spin on that particular artist and band. Um, Cody Canada went really, really deep on, uh, into his catalog and gave some behind the music. If you've ever seen him play live, you know he loves to tell the stories behind the songs. So I said, let's make a chapter out of that, and then we did. Um, and if you know Wade Bowen, you know he's, he loves Springsteen. So I just asked him about Springsteen and his influences, and then about a couple of his songs. And Reckless is such a unique and varied band that, you know, a chapter in the book about them in Idaho really doesn't encompass how, how much of an influence they have. And so I just dug, dug in more with them on people that matter to them, on how they're handling their double album release in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so each of these has something special. Um, now, here's the bad news that as of today and also by the time the podcast comes out, those three pre-sales will be over. However, the artists are all going to sell them. So eventually you'll be able to just go to the artist's website and order their books from them. No, right um, on. But the one we're going oh, to announce sweet. Friday, so you know it'll still be a dated reference when this is uh, all said and done, but it'll be Stoney LaRue. And he's not going okay. to be the last one. He's just the next one. Oh, great. 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's Stony, that's Stony, really cool. Sony introduced me to so many guys in the scene. Um, you know, from Bob Childers and Cody Canada down to um, people you wouldn't have even heard of, but were just great people to be around. And so, um, when the chance came to do one of these with him, I jumped at it. Yeah, perfect. Well, you you tell that story of of Stony. I, I don't know if you've covered yeah, everything. It yet, Stony, 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 Stony. Sto- over Stony and the. Well, like, like just that first time is like shortly after you talked about uh, your buddy uh, Jeff. Yeah. Um, showing you. Did you guys already hit that or no? No, we haven't actually. Oh, yeah. sweet. No. Yeah. So, so Jeff showed you uh, John Prine, and then like shortly after that, you talked about like walking through Stillwater and you hear Stony Larue, and you didn't know who it was, but you guys just walked in and, yeah. and heard him, and it's like, dude, that's so cool. Like, you don't get that here. Yeah. Like where you can um, just like walk down and hear some some band playing, and like fuck, it's like early days Stony Larue that you're walking into. Like that's that's so cool. I knew, to me. I knew on that night, and okay. Jim Wilhelm said this a little bit. He he said something to this effect too. But I knew on that night when I walked into the Wormy Dog and saw Stony playing, I knew that what I was basically doing was walking out of my old life and starting <laughs> my actual life as a part of Red Dirt Music. I knew that yeah. even then that I would not be the same after it happened. Because I knew I wasn't just going to be a one-off. I knew I was going to come back there every night as long as I was in college. Yeah, that's that's unreal. <clears throat> what a feeling. <laughs> yeah. What a feeling. And I mean, um, I guess, I don't, know if, I don't know if it's good if we should jump into the conversation about uh, kind of the connection that you want to make between maybe Americana and Red Dirt. Or uh, should we take our quick break and we'll play a tune from Wade Bowen here quick? Do it. All right. I like that idea. Would you, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play the quick tune from Wade Bowen. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about why you selected this song for the podcast, Josh? Yes. Um, quite simply because it's my favorite Wade Bowen song off of his okay. uh, last album, the Solid Ground <laughs> album. Um, but yeah, I really did. Um, but also um, the lyrics to that song are um, – extremely relatable to people that that have um certainly to me and who have experienced austin and texas and red dirt in general um you know there's there's this there's always this i mean in a way you can get philosophical about life in general this way but in red dirt really in general um it's just all this landscape is just always changing and so even if you take the physical places Wade's singing out out of it, like Antones and Sixth Street. Um, just the the ebbs and flows uh, of that music scene and um, um, the songs and the people that are you know on top on bottom, the people that are that are touring together, and it it just it always seems to be going through phases. And that's what I heard when I heard it was um, you know I hear Wade singing about Austin. But what I also hear is just, you know, somebody experiencing life. And I thought I just never heard it that way before. So that's why it's my favorite. And that's why I picked it. I right. think it relates. I well, think it really without relates further to ado, then, that was a. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yours. No, I, I think it. I think it is, uh, there's not many songs that that capture the spirit of the book itself better than that one, too. Oh, well, there you have it. We will. Uh, we will cut right into this tune then here uh this is so long sixth street wade bowen after that fantastic introduction by josh enjoy everyone (laughs) 
Sixth Street by Wade Bowen. Lovely inter- introduction there from uh, Josh Crutchmer, Crutchmer, sorry, author of Red Dirt, the Red Dirt book, if you will. Um, 
guys keep your eyes out when does that when does that release again josh i have it, i had it in front of me here as september 19th 2020 you are correct all right um, but people that ordered advanced copies they're going to start rolling in this week and people mm. will probably get them well before september 19th which is a good thing beautiful i'm excited yeah. to get this out in the world Thanks again for sending it. I mean, this was, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I've been digging into this for a while. I, I probably read about three quarters of it in the first, like, three or four days that I, that oh, you, nice. after that you sent well. it to me. <laughs> that bodes well. And, uh, and then I kind of went off it for a while. I had a busy couple of weeks, and then I had to jump back in and finish it. And then, of course, the gap there, I had to go back and read a lot of the stuff I'd taken notes sure. on. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit of a all over the place read, but fantastic read. And like I said at the start of this podcast, I mean, if you are a fan of Red Dirt, and if you if you're not convinced yet from hearing some of the stories that Josh has told us and uh, everything that went into the making of this book, you need to go pick this thing up and give it a read because um, right. it is absolutely fantastic. I mean, just just take my fucking word for it, because I I don't think I even read a book through college, really. Like, <laughs> I mean. You can spark spark notes that shit. Like, I don't remember the last time I just read a book on my own, but this dude, like, yeah, like Garrett said, if you like this kind of music and the stories just behind it and how everything pieces together, like, it's it's easy easy to read. So, man, I fucking hate reading, but this this was easy to read and fun to read, and I'm glad I did. Like, you know. <laughs> Like, there you if go. You if have, you're like me in any way, <laughs> you have an endorsement from somebody who enjoys reading, like myself, and an endorsement from somebody who despises the fact or the the idea of it. <laughs> there's a reason I'm a math teacher, not a lit teacher. You so, know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mostly because um, I don't want to grade writing papers, but. Uh, well. Um. That sounds terrible. So Josh, you um, you alluded earlier today. And I mean, it'll be it'll be old news probably by the time this podcast comes out next week. But you have some big news for us and everybody listening. Is that well, right? I, I, it is right. And um, or maybe I'm am I gonna... am I overstating the importance of it? No, you're not. I'm going. To, I, I will. Uh, I'll just read an excerpt from the book. It's the only time I'll read an excerpt on this podcast. Um, and I won't do any impersonations, but I'll just read the excerpt of the book and then we can get into what this is all about. All right. So the start of chapter 20, which is titled Turnpike, um, begins like this. It begins with a quote. Quote, I'm going to make music. At the end of the day, that's what I feel like I was put on this earth to do. It's the end of the first quote. Evan Felker had just spent a year off every grid imaginable. Yet in early August 2020, he handled the obvious, what's next? with the same charisma that commands attention from every eye in sold-out amphitheaters when he's on stage. And I'll tell you something else. We're back to a quote. I'll tell you another thing. It's really hard to get good at something, Felker said, breaking into a full-throttle laugh. Look, I've tried over the past year, and I've learned, may as well stick to your day job. Um, so that's how that chapter begins. Um, mm -hmm. um, for the first time in almost two years... Evan Felker talked on the record, and it was with me about an hour before I was sending this book to the press. Um, wow. He, um, you know, I don't know if how, how closely you guys have followed his saga, but about three yeah. months ago, about three months ago, some pictures, so you know, but that pictures of him a, resurfaced, of him working about on About as closely stuff. as two people could possibly follow it. So, 
So when I saw that, when I found that ranch, I just did what a journalist would do, and I found its address. And I sent a, I sent an advanced copy down there with his name on it, and I said, "Man, I really feel better if you check this out, knowing that it was going to get in somebody's hands." And literally, it landed in it land. It found its rightful owner, to paraphrase Turnpike. Um, it found its rightful owner about an hour before I was sending this book to press. And Evan called, and he 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 said, "You know, look, it's lots happened in two years. It's a different world." Um, he said, I, I, I think the story you're telling in the book, which at the time really went back and forth between uh, the history of Turnpike and the uh, break they took, said, I don't feel like that's a story anymore. And I said, well, what is the story? And then really, I just let him talk. And um, it'll be out by the time this podcast comes out. But Evan says, um, you know, he took a year off the road because he needed to get he needed to get himself right. He needed to get his... Uh, his life in order. He needed to, his exact words in the book and that'll be in the story that comes out was, um, I had to, I had to find out who I was, not just who people wanted me to be. Um, and he says, he said, you just can't do that when you're on the road every week. Um, and that's true. If you or I go through, go through a, a time of trouble in our lives, you know, we take a week off of work. Um, we get out of, we, we get out of the, if Evan Felker takes time off work, it's it's a blown gig. It's 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 hurt promoters. It's there's it, so much writing on on you making all these tour dates, and um, that's not necessarily to defend anything. It's just saying that that lifestyle takes uh, a little bit of humanity out of the equation. Um, you know, so there's a whole lot of that we we talked for half an hour, and I pretty much put everything he said in the book. Um, you know. You can't, you shouldn't expect him to say a phrase like Turnpike's making a new album tomorrow. Um, what you should take away is that Evan wants to make music again. He's, he's, he's taken a year away from that. He wants to get, he's ready to get back into songwriting. He's feeling that pull and he's happy. Um, and I also left something else out um, that will also, you know, get out tomorrow. Um, the person that facilitated the interview was Stacy from their house together in Oklahoma. So that's another piece of the puzzle that everybody's always wondering about. Um, well, she's, and, she's uh, dropped hints on that for a while. Yeah, there's been, like, yeah. There's, there's been some yeah, hints. Yeah. Um, um, so um, I really, I, I can't, I've really tried to prove, and it's just impossible to, um, but I, I, I know that the last full band interview Turnpike gave was to me for this book. Um, and almost two years later, Evan resurfaced to, to just update how he was feeling. And, you know, I can't thank him enough for doing that, but I also think a lot of people are going to be really interested to hear, um, just how he feels now. Um, mm-hmm. and just, just, this, this is really what he said is just the story of, you know, uh, a person, you know, going off the grid and, um, you know, doing some soul searching and, I, but it's a, he put it in such a great way. Um, he threw in a, it's in the book too. He threw in a Hemingway quote where he says, um, life is a support system for art. It's not the other way around. And I thought that was just so great. Um, that's, that's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. And it's really good. He was just so raw and honest, but also like really so happy. Um, you know, he's just he, cracking jokes, making self deprecating, yeah. you know, remarks <laughs> and, 
Yeah, that's really what he Cracking was doing. Cracking jokes and, at the common folks, um, maybe. I've had a couple of moments <laughs> when I did this book that just felt really disarming, where you're just talking to somebody and you can tell that they're just so enthralled by what they're saying that um, you kind of worry, like, don't say something you don't want in the book because I'm going to put it in there. But you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> but it was just you, you yeah. could tell you'd hit, you could tell that there was just this this freeing moment with him just saying all this, um, and um, yeah, you know, so you know that's going to get out tomorrow and by the time the podcast is out it'll, it'll probably be well-worn news and we'll be on to the next thing yeah um, yeah but i think you know just hearing him talk and knowing that he's uh people yeah and they people should, they will should. cling to that though like, and, and, i mean just saying it as a fan speaking as a yeah, fan i'm clinging like, to it um mm-hmm. i'm sweating right, right now yeah <laughs> um, i mean yeah oh my god i was like giddy as you're like un- unwrapping this story, I'm like in my seat, like shifting positions, like, oh my god, yeah, like, every- dude, like it's it's a huge thing. It's like there's so many question marks over that entire yeah. thing with Evan and Turnpike and like what's going on. What's I think happen? the most important like, thing in the future looks like like so. I mean, many whatever happens with Turnpike, honestly, starts with Evan Felker saying, "I feel like I'm in the right place." Um, and being thankfully yeah, being you know happy, we're, thankfully we're in the middle of a pandemic right. so I, there was no pressure i didn't put any pressure on him and i wouldn't have wanted to put it in the book either right to say you know i plan to record an album right. on, on x date with this band um i the, the first the, this this is a process yeah, and it's a series yeah. of steps and a big step is um you know just getting going on the record um that you know you're feeling good that, that you feel like you've yeah. done the right thing and you're in a good place and that you're happy and um that's i think it's a really important step that's what yeah right on that's what that's what the fans want i mean yeah that's that i mean when when that happened i I feel like the the vast majority of um red dirt fans turnpike fans whatever it is anybody who follows it vast majority was like well we just want him to be happy and healthy you know so the fact that that's where we're at is today huge is huge, and I think I think also people don't want to be like now immediately get back yeah. and risk that like you know you, you want them to stay that way and how, whatever process that is from here is whatever. But it's it's really good to hear that he's kind of in the mental space, absolutely. Perhaps to like you said, like right? Maybe songs making again music, and then... may, may, maybe making more music will will be yeah. happy. That that's what his happy process is. Like that's mm-hmm. so that's super cool. But yeah, yeah. Which I mean, he's a master of that craft. So I mean, you know, you can you can spin it any number of ways you like. But, um, but one of the things he does talk about is that uh-huh. he's ready to write songs again. And yeah, you know, it's kind of like he's like Robert Earl Keane in a way. Um, Robert Joaquin just writes wonderful songs, but you always say things like, man, can you imagine if somebody ever actually broke Robert Joaquin's heart, what the songs would be like then? I mean, the dude's pretty happy and, and has largely had a pretty good life and, he's, and he can still, you know, he, he can he can draw your emotions out with his music. So Evan mm-hmm. Belker's gone through some shit and he's in that same mold. Right. So, you know, if he really is going to start writing songs again, my gut feeling is that they're probably going to be worth listening to. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine it's going to be a throwaway cut if that happens. Yeah. I, uh, I think that's a pretty good gamble. No. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he's had one of those yeah, yet. Probably so. onto something there. <laughs> In my opinion. Um. 
yeah well i mean thanks for yeah. thanks for sharing uh, yeah that with us and and uh like like yeah, you said it will yeah, be old, old news awesome. by the time yeah. this gets to everybody's ears but hopefully the what you've just said and and hearing that story from your perspective uh provides a little uh, maybe another layer to it and uh a, you know i don't know what exactly is i can't predict the future what's going to come out tomorrow but uh hopefully yeah. hopefully that you know provides a little bit of a right. uh, backstory to the entire thing so i mean i will say this too um uh just on that topic and i've done a few interviews for this book already um you know my number one priority when it came time to put this book together and finish it and get it out in the world was I wanted to do right by them, by Turnpike specifically. Um, and I agonized over their chapter more than everybody else's combined. Right. Um, some of them, some of them, the words came like that and I was done in mm -hmm. half an hour. Um, and with Turnpike, it never was like that until right at the end. Um, and I'm really, really happy that, that it was all able to work out. And um, strictly, strictly speaking, as a fan, um, you know, it just made me feel good. And I, I think that band means so much to red dirt and um you know has just such a a draw and a frankly a charm about it that you know they deserve a feel-good story and i think you know this is probably just one step along the way but but, but i think if they were able to get that feel-good story they would certainly be worthy of it that's what i'm hoping and mm -hmm. if i get to play a part in that it's even better yeah no absolutely that's that's what I think is such cool cool timing about the yeah. book. Like, yeah. there are a lot of closed chapters in the book. Yeah. you know, like Tom Skinner, like Bob Chiller, like those are closed chapters. Like, we know what happened yeah. with Ragweed. Like, those are closed chapters. But then it's there's a living, the breathing, it's happening, which is like super current. And it's like what it, exactly? And it's like that's why the timing of the book is so cool. And that yeah. last minute interview with Evan is just like. Leave right. so many doors open. And know, by like, the way, I mean you like did a beautiful on, job of uh, I, of leaving that door open in the in the in the in the version that I read. Obviously, I haven't read, read yeah. uh, you know Evan's piece yet that you said you've added now. But I thought you did a great job right, of uh, right. you know telling the history of the band and, and mixing in some of that you know the part part of like the break the hiatus the hiatus excuse me. And then uh, leaving that door open, like you said, mm -hmm. book chapters can be rewritten and uh, and added to. And clearly, I kept that part in. And I kept that part in when I revised it. Did because you? Because it became uh, a lot. It came a lot more relevant when that happened. That's that's great. That's good. It did become a lot more relevant. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome, dude. What's your uh, what's your favorite Turnpike song? Um. So. The one that I, my favorite one is 1968, but mm -hmm. the one that I play the most is Bozier City. Just that. Oh, that's a good one. Because I grew up in eastern Oklahoma. I, I grew up. Really? Evan's from Wright City, and I wasn't, I'm not that far mm -hmm. south and east, but I'm from the same general area. We both drove the Indonesian Turnpike a lot, and um, I drove it a lot down to Shreveport. Um, yeah. I just thought, I just thought well, the, uh, the combination of the imagery and the gambling <laughs> and the, uh, frankly, the meth. In that song, it's always <laughs> stuck with me. Uh, oh, great! Yeah, dude, I I'm just using this. I'm fishing for an excuse to say the word Okima. So, mine's um, Rant. So, <laughs> yeah. which he um, writes about a bartender in Okima. That is a uh, <coughs> oh, Okima is a very interesting town. Sorry. It's um, it's it's just your run of the mill small town. It skews uh, 
very conservative. And we're not going to talk politics, but it's very conservative. Um, but also, it's the uh, birthplace of Woody Guthrie, yeah. and it hosts this. You know, this guy Woody Guthrie was a, mm-hmm. a, a an avowed communist, and so the dynamics of that town are just wild. And they love Woody Guthrie, and they love the uh, they love the current incarnation of Red Dirt, and um, just the side of the road off of, just off of Interstate Forty Hamlet with these wonderful music venues. It's an incredible place to be. And if you ever get a chance to go, I think you should have stopped by. Go see the Rocky Road. Go see uh, Brick Street. Um, or make it down to the Woody Guthrie Festival. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Do you... Cool town. Um, I, was, I was right there. Mike, do I you want to... Uh, well, I kind of want to... Just speaking of venues, I mean, is there anything... Is there anything that you'd like to say about especially some of the venues that made it into this book, but some, even I'm sure you've been talking to artists in the last few months, like during the whole coronavirus pandemic. And what is your general, you know, like what have you been hearing from some of the artists regarding some of these smaller venues that are so essential to red dirt and independent music in general? I am very worried for the venues um, because those places have mortgages to pay and they have rent to pay and live music pays it. Um, even the larger right. ones, you know, your Joe's sports bar in Chicago, which has a basically, a, it doesn't have a true chapter devoted for it, but it's on the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that place, that place has lost its live music. It's a sports bar. Now it doesn't have college football. Now it's in Chicago and there's, right. there's rent and bills to be paid. Um, so I worry a lot about the future of the venues, but I don't worry a lot about the future of music. Um, if Joe's goes away, um, those owners are going to open up a new Joe somewhere else. If, uh, you know, God forbid, if if Cheatham Street Warehouse shuts down, um, Randy Rogers is going to do everything he can to open a new Cheatham Street. That's just the way it is. The music isn't going anywhere. The experience isn't going anywhere. Um, what you're going to lose, you're going to lose the nostalgia. You're going to lose the uh, just the general sense of comfort you get in those venues. And that's going to suck. Let's don't. You know, let's not sugarcoat that. Right. Um, so, you know, I certainly hope that, uh, you know, the Save the Stages project that I, these, I hope that people are able to, you know, if, if we can save half of the venues, then we're probably ahead of where we, we, we deserve to be. Um, so um, a little bit, that's a little bit of a bummer, um, but I think you should really, you should, you'll have to just distinguish between the notion of the venues and the notion of the Texas music, the red dirt music experience. Cause that's not going to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm late, late in the book. You say, uh, you like regarding the coronavirus pandemic and you say that red dirt really will be okay. And this kind of connects with yeah. what you just said, because fans are dying to see them as much as yeah. they're dying to see the fans. Yeah. And, I uh, mean, really honestly, at every single venue in the whole world shut down, the fans will go to a parking lot and the band will plug into their, the speakers of their van and play a show. And so that's not going anywhere. Um, no, I just I definitely wanted to uh, say something about that yeah. because you do you do dive in quite a bit, and you know the the venues like the Wormy Dog and Joe's are are a pretty big yeah. part of uh, a pretty big part of the book and and the overall story. And that's that's another thing that's certainly unique to Red Dirt is not every genre would be okay with that, but. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, I have question. a bone to pick with uh, 
with with Oklahomans. Um, so I was down, as I said earlier, uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago in Muskogee. And I had big, big expectations, you know, like, you know, when o- Muskogee, Oklahoma, right. USA, you know, <clears throat> we went out to a, me- yeah, well, we went out to a Mexican place uh, there to, to eat. And I wasn't too hungry. Grabbed some tacos. Um, and all you know, sounds great. Corn tortilla, obviously. And, and then, so it sounds good. They bring out yeah. the, the chips and, and the salsa. And they also brought out uh, a, a white dish that looked yeah. like queso, you know. So I was like, oh, sweet. Free queso at a Mexican place. Like, that's not very, yeah. uh, you know, that doesn't happen all the time. So I was like, awesome. Took a big scoop. No, it was ranch oh. dressing. Ranch dressing with the tortilla chips. Fuck oh, off. I was like, what? Okay. Like, is that not, Okay, by your reaction, I'm guessing that's not a whole Oklahoma the, thing, which the, is what the, I was worried so here's about through me. The... But, White queso is very popular in Oklahoma. It is a, uh, it's probably in the majority of Mexican restaurants in Oklahoma. So I was pre- I was full on prepared for something like I had this yeah. white queso and it didn't agree with me. And what are you doing? But the white queso is wonderful. I was not expecting the punchline no, to be, no. and it was ranch dressing. Um, so <laughs> you hit your, you hit it yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. Um, Trust me, I wasn't either. So <laughs> um, next time you're there. Hit up the next Mexican <laughs> restaurant you see that's not that one and give them a second shot because it is really good. Um. <laughs> All right. I, I trust you. Also, they didn't fry my corn tortillas. They just gave me like the plain Is it possible you did not go to a Mexican taco. restaurant but rather went like, to yeah, like a, an sure? Italian restaurant? It it was a fucking – dude, it like had a Spanish name. It was like orange and blue. Sure, sure. It was right off the main drag there in Muskogee and – it was apparently not. not the right place to be, hmm. but yeah. So if you're ever in Muskogee and you see a orange go to the next one, uh, Mexican restaurant, right off of whatever whatever interstate that is. Yeah, don't. Right. Yeah, go to the next mm. one. You know what? You know There's what I think happened there, is honestly, I think they Muskogee, recognized but... that you weren't from Oklahoma and they were just fucking with you a little bit. <laughs> That's possible, maybe even likely. They very well. Yeah, were like, you guys man. acting like assholes? I, I, yeah, I can't uh-huh. see you doing that, but you know. No, dude, I was, I was, oh. it's like I was hung over. Oh, they were definitely like, fucking. I, I hardly with you said a word, you know. I just spent a night with Brian White, man. I was hung over as shit, like. Well, <clears throat> um, Josh, but I think we're at about an hour, ten minutes here. Okay. If there's anything else you want to touch on we can definitely dive in if not we can let you go and get you let you carry on with your uh your busy life i feel um, like you know if i were gonna try and put a uh a capstone or whatever uh you know phrase um you know why kyle nix says it on his uh on the first track of his uh, his new album, one of the lines is, "I hope you like it some," and that's the way I feel about Red Dirt Music, and that's why I feel, you know I feel about this book. Um, I, f- I I hope it I hope it entertains and informs, but I also just kind of hope you like it, and that applies to all the music beyond just this book. Well, I feel shitty now because I did want to. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, I did want to say something, and now you just put the capstone down. Um, but I will capstones say can that be, capstone capstones can be respoken. Okay, look at that. Um, (laughs) 
I, I just wanted to say that uh, part of the re I mean, a, a huge chunk of the reason that I enjoyed it so much was like Mike said earlier with the whole Tom Skinner thing, this gave me, I mean, you hear about all these figures and these characters that have, you know, obviously been important to Red Dirt, but if you didn't live their careers, like if you didn't live through those time periods and you didn't experience those kind of things or get attached to those artists in some of the ways that maybe I'm attached to Turnpike or some of the more modern bands and uh, artists, you don't really know or you don't maybe don't have a proper idea of how important that some of those people really were like Tom Skinner, like Bob Childers, like even Jason Boland or, uh, or uh, ragweed for somebody who wasn't alive and, you know, down there in, in the nineties, early two thousands kind of thing. So for me, this book informed, entertained, and, made me really dive into the music in a different because i you know i've heard some of that music before and 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 dug in but i have a whole new connection to it now after reading this book and i think thanks that for me was what i was after that was really really one of the biggest Uh, takeaways for me is just made me connected to this to these artists that i may not have really felt that connection to otherwise like I said, I'm 24 years old. I yeah am connected to Turnpike because I've lived through Turnpike, right? And yeah. I've, you know, you know what I mean. And even the damn quails. I mean, Mike introduced them to me uh, not all that long ago. I hadn't again hadn't dug into them all the way, but now that I'm attached, like I've like I said, I'm I'm young. I've, I'm attached to those types of bands. Reading this book made it all come together and and really really uh like i said informed entertained and and connected me to it so i thank you for that <laughs> thank you yeah yeah man thanks for having yeah. me it's great. i appreciate it too dude it's it's amazing just reading through it but yeah but i think uh we're gonna leave you with with quite a tune that probably all of you yeah, i know where i know where this is going are um, familiar with <laughs> Can I uh, can I yeah, shout out a couple Josh, of Josh? Uh, you need or... to take an opportunity to plug in the obviously you did the website earlier, but give everybody one last little plug on everything. Your social media is the book, all that great yeah. stuff, and what they have to look forward to. So, um, you can order the book anytime. Pre-order it, order it after the release date, whatever at reddirtbook.com, and then on all three of the social medias, just search for Red Dirt Book. It's all one word, username. It's easy to find. Um, and if you really like it, um, I want to uh, I want to give a shout out to the folks at Travel by Gravel um, out of, out of uh, the Texas Hill Country because they took the logo from the book and they put it on a shirt. And um, I don't get a dime from it. I don't want a dime from it. Um, but they're a, a great small company that, that the artists love. And uh, you can support them and get the... Uh, what I think is a pretty kick-ass logo on a shirt too. Um, mm. So go check them out too. Travel by Gravel is the name. Travel by travelbygravel.com is their website. There you have it. Sweet. I will check that out. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Awesome. Well, I think that's it. Uh, it's but, time, Mike. You can. Right, why don't you time? take us out of this one? I know you've just been itching to do this. So. I've been itching for it. 
as Josh knows, uh, them boys from Oklahoma, they roll their joints all wrong. <laughs> but, you know, I ain't no holy roller. I just use a bong. So we're going to uh, leave you all with this ragweed classic. Which the, the book the book goes in-depth about, like, kind of the history behind it. But uh, this ragweed classic, thing, boys um, from Oklahoma. Yeah. Cross Canadian ragweed, you all know it. Sing can't along think, with can't thank you enough for doing thing. this, Josh. I don't think I threw yeah, that in. I'd be wrong if it. I didn't uh, say oh, thank yeah. you can't. before this is over. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Josh. But all right, you guys get to hear. All right, boys from Oklahoma. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Josh. We're out. Y'all show Gene what you can do for the boys from Oklahoma, okay? <laughs> Texacon's Creed Them boys are down in Texas Gals on damn fine weed Well them boys in Colorado They just as soon pound for gold The nights are too long The growing season's too cold They just as soon smoke a joint The Jason Bowling and roll this that's what I've been told Yeah, them boys on Oklahoma Roll their joints all wrong They're too damn skinny Way too long Well, I ain't a holy roller So I'll just use a bone Them boys on Oklahoma Roll their joints all wrong Down in Norman, they got a kinky streak. They like to roll their own, or soon a wrist or two weak. They just as soon. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I just got to thinking, we're gonna have to do this song over again because we might want to sell a CD in Norman, you know. <laughs> but we'll go ahead and do it for now, okay? Well, them faggots down there in Norman, they got a kinky streak. Well, they like to roll their own, they're sending a wrist or two weak. They'll sure start to puffin' if you stick one in their beak. Them faggots down in Norman got a kinky streak.
tremble growing their weed. The alligators is mean, they ain't up all the seats. But on a bayou night by the light of the full moon, you can walk out and pick a sack full of shrooms. Hear them bulls and hold their homer rule, they jump so wrong. Tonight. I want you to show our good friend Gene Collier that you know every word of the song. Well, them boys. from Oklahoma from Cross Canadian Ragweed finishing off the episode here today once again we would like to thank Josh for sitting down with us and chatting about the book and having some fun please be sure to head over to reddirtbook.com I don't need to spell that for you those are three pretty simple words reddirtbook.com pre-order your copy and dive into this book I can't say enough good things about it it was absolutely a pleasure to read and so great to have josh sit down and uh, visit with us a bit about the book and uh, dive in on a few more details if you are a new listener we would absolutely love it if you would take a second and leave us a review on apple podcasts and give us a five star rating it helps us out more than you realize and it is relatively quite simple so we would sure appreciate that also head on over to twitter instagram and facebook give us a follow give us a like and uh, join the conversation with us on those social media platforms. We love chatting with you guys about music, who you want to hear on the show, what you want to hear us talk about on the show, whatever it may be. Tweet at us, comment on Instagram, whatever whatever it is. We love hearing from you. Uh, you. I'll leave our PayPal in the description of this podcast. We appreciate any and all tips that you guys are willing to give. Of course, we have an online store if you head on over to our Twitter account. Scroll down and find our pinned tweet. Or just send us a DM and we can probably hook you up even faster. Thanks for listening, everybody. Once again, today's episode has been brought to you by Meatocracy Power to the producer. Head on over to meatocracy.com or to the App Store and download the Meatocracy app. Start saving cash and putting high-quality local meat on your dinner table. We will be coming right back at you shortly, probably later in the week 
got another episode coming with Fireside Collective, and we were joined for about half an hour by the great Chris Knight. Everybody, so excited for you guys to hear both of those episodes. We had a blast talking to both of those guests, and they will be coming very, very soon. Once again, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.